Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. I'm one of the two brothers and kind of comedian and lifelong comic book fan, Will Hines. I'm the other one of those things and so much more. Mm. Kevin Hines. So good to have you. We balance out my lack of traits and your abundance mm-hmm. of traits equals yeah. one man yeah a lot of people say i'm half a man but i assume they're rounding either up or down so that's nice i guess it, it adds up to two men you're one and a half men and i'm half um kevin what's going on what's happening uh, on this podcast what are we doing today we are back to our new uh <laughs> sub-series Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. This is the series within our podcast where uh, we cover the John Byrne era of the Fantastic Four and answer emails from our listeners. We just wrapped up our Squadron Supreme season. Yes. Now we are back to uh, a favorite of ours from growing up, the John Byrne FF. Uh, Today we're covering issues 238, 239, and 240. We've just come off... um, some classic burn issues, Tiny Town and Ego, The Living Planet. Yes. Um, and now we're entering uh, the next three. Just the next three? Know. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what these are. <laughs> they're but they're good. Uh, they're quite they're good, not, I think, though. They're hard to... They're not iconic. They're Yeah, they're following a few of his best stories. And these feel more like gearing up for the next batch of great episodes. Uh, and issues, rather. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they're, they're good. I think all yeah. his issues are good, but they they lack that sort of magic of the last few. I think you're right, but uh, there's there's a lot to love in these issues we're we're going to go over. They're terrible, and I'm glad we <laughs> both agree on that. And then we'll do mail, and then we'll enter a mail. We've got a bunch of mail. We've gotten a lot of mail. Uh, but before even all that, we should talk about our ongoing. I think at least through the end of the year, our screw it Insta push. Right. So just like a lot of your radio shows and podcasts will have like some variety of like a pledge drive, like NPR will have a pledge drive or they ask you to like donate money to their public, you know, yeah. radio concern or like they'll be like, you know, Comedy Bang Bang does a best of where they go over their best of things for the yeah. year. Uh, we do our this is what we do every year starting this year. The Comedy only. Bang Bang is um, a book. It's a podcast. It's a pod- It actually is a book. A book is coming out next year, but it's primarily a podcast. So there's other podcasts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not the only one. Yeah, there's many others. We've huh. we've guested on some of them. Sure. I, I guess I thought those were books. Oh yeah, no, no. Those are those are podcasts. Oh, oh, that unpacking peanuts podcast that we were just on, where we were talking about yeah. Charlie Brown and Snoopy and all that stuff. That was some sort of audio book that we were on. Really, you thought that was an audio? Just the, or a just book that... on tape? Yeah, that sort of thing. That unstructured conversation we had about Charlie Brown, you thought that was, okay, well, no, it was a podcast. Well, that was a good one, Unpacked Peanuts. Check that out. We talk about some great peanut strips on that book. I mean, sorry, podcast. Oh, boy. You're going to have to get used to that. But um, our end of the year thing that we're just doing this year for the first time, but I believe we will do ever forward, is the Screw It Insta Push. Hashtag Screw It Insta Push, where we ask our loyal listeners like you to take one of the panels from our Instagram's uh, feed and put it in your stories. And I kind of think it's been a runaway success, especially given that we had almost no expectations of any success. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell. 
it's really hard to tell why we've we've gotten new followers. And that's the goal of this, to get new Instagram followers. And we hope that some of them eventually find their way to our podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we have any new podcast listeners. If you're a new listener, send us an email and say, hey, the Insta push worked on me. Yeah, screw it. Insta push got me involved. Uh, I'd love to know that. Um, But we have gotten more followers on Instagram since this has started. Our goal was was to reach 1,500. That's right. Uh, we were at like at 1440 or 1450 when this started. I can't remember now. Okay. Um, and That's we've what... now passed 1500, Will. Yes. Yes. How many are bots? Um, I think 1400 of them are bots. Okay. Okay. Like a lot I... of the usernames are like crypto trader expert. I genuinely did go through to see if uh, we started at 1462. So we've, 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 Gained over 40 new followers, such a small amount. 1505 <laughs> is where we're at now. <laughs> but the Insta push is not over yet. I did go through our followers to see if there were any like obvious bots, like yeah. something that's mostly numbers or just yeah, ends right, in, like right. three, four, eight, nine. Right. I mean, my Instagram handle ends in 12, and I'm not a bot, but none of them leaped out at me as bots. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't a bunch of bots. There definitely are a bunch of things that could either be like, that have like screw it comics could sound like a bot name as well. Yeah. Uh, like it's not a person's name. We have a lot of followers that are not person names. So yeah. that, those are hard to gauge. Yeah. I went to a few of them to see if they like didn't have any posts or things like that. And there's a few that could be, but not as many as I thought. I think a lot of it looks our pretty followers legit. You are, kick the tires and it looks pretty legit. Yeah. They either are legit or they are like defunct real like people that have just stopped using Instagram. Okay. Those could well, be on there for sure. I'm happy to have those too. Yeah. So, yeah. well, we, we it sounds like we've reached our 1500 goal, but the screw it insta push, we got a, we got a couple of weeks left. So, I say we raise that goal 1600 followers. Let's go for 6000 followers. <laughs> We're looking for five, 4500 more followers <laughs> in the next few weeks. So before we'll before January first, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Uh, it'll have to go a little more than we, we you know, we've gained 40 in a month. So it'll have now, to pick up the pace a little bit. We'll see. We'll see if we get there. Mm -hmm. um, Kevin, any TV or movie discussion you want to do? I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Oh, I haven't watched that. What'd you think? Well, it's going to be a one-sided conversation. <laughs> I blew it. I blew it. Um, it's interesting. I liked it mostly. Mm -hmm. It It's silly. It's yeah. uh, uh, as you might expect for a holiday special involving the Guardians of the Galaxy. It is sillier than I think the silliest parts of the Guardians movies. Okay, which is pretty silly. Which is pretty silly. And so in that sense, it's too silly, right? Sure. Sounds like um, it. it. It A lot of it follows Drax and Mantis, who are sort of the dumber characters. The comic relief, right? Drax doesn't understand sarcasm or any kind of figurative speech. Mm -hmm. And Mantis is also kind of like earnest and sort of naively yeah. taking people at face value. So if I was going to explain this, it's going to sound like I'm negative about this, but hold off judgment of my judgment until I get to the end. But yeah, basically I went into it. I was like, oh, it's starting out okay. Then it got really silly in the middle. And I was like, okay. oh, is this too, too much, too much, like tonally, you know, is this shifted too far into just comedy and not enough into that sort of perfect balance of sort of action comedy that the first movie had and the second movie mostly had? Um, and it, and it felt like it was too much. But then, like in the last third, I, it didn't get less silly, 
But all of a sudden, I was all in. I'm just like, huh. I don't know. Now I like it more. Wow, that got you. Um, the do you plot. Think, do you, you know what the plot got... is? Mm-mm, no. Do you want to know? Yes. The plot of the special is that Drax and Mantis decide to get Peter Quill a Christmas present. Uh, he's told them about Christmas, so they've heard about Christmas through Peter, and they decide to get him a Christmas present to cheer him up because he's sad because Gamora is gone. Yes. Gamora died and was replaced by an earlier eviler Gamora during Endgame. Right. Um, so they decide to get him a gift, and they decide as a perfect gift would be his favorite movie star, Kevin Bacon. Okay. So they go to Earth and kidnap Kevin Bacon. That's very fun. And Kevin Bacon is in it. Kevin Bacon is delightful. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's the plot. And the old 97s are in it. They sing a Christmas song as aliens. Love the old 97s. Um, and it's a great song. It's really fun. I think the song is like, what is Christmas? <laughs> or Yeah. I don't know what Christmas is, I think is what the song is. <laughs> it's very fun. Um, and so, so there are parts I really, really dig. And there were parts that felt too silly. But at the end, I was like, sort of like She-Hulk, where like She-Hulk had aspects. I'm like, this is too much. But then when it was over, I'm like, eh, I liked it. I like that it was, I'd rather have them go for it than play it safe. Uh, and this is the same thing. It, it's probably too silly and it would probably be better if it was less silly. But I don't know. I was smiling for the last third. And so I was all on board. So that's my review. Uh, mostly spoiler, spoiler light review of the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Okay, I'll watch it this week and I'll come in next week for my review. I won't care anymore. It'll be old news to me. Mm-hmm. So when you start talking about it, I'll say <laughs> boring. <laughs> okay. Talk about something new. Um, Talk about the but, new Willow TV show. <laughs> When's that coming out? Now it's out. Oh, wow. So much stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. Uh, I don't know if I'll watch that unless I hear great things about it, but it's out there. I mean, it's been said many times, but if you could go back to when Willow was released, and I think pretty underwhelming to the audience Mm -hmm. at large and told people, hey, in 2022, there's going to be a TV series based on this. She'd be like, wow, a TV series. Then you'd go, wait, in 2022? (laughs) Like, why so long from now? Yes. are there jetpacks? What's happening that people are yeah. watching Willow? And, but you'd be like, well, Val Kilmer is such a dynamic star. At least he's in it. <laughs> like, oh, he's not in it. No, yeah. no, sorry. Um, so I don't know. I um, can I talk about something I've been uh, looking into? I, I'm continuing to read Marvel: The Untold Story, Marvel Comics: mm-hmm. The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Sure, and Marvel Comics is a podcast. It's a comic book company that we talk about a lot on this uh, podcast. You said you're reading, and I, I I associate that with podcasts. Oh, I see. No, it's a book. This one's a book. Oh boy, oh boy. And it's a lot for you to keep track of. And uh, and I'm through the Jim Shooter era and into the Tom DeFalco era. That's like what point in the history I'm mm-hmm. up to reading about. So like the early '90s. Yeah. And uh, boy, is it a bummer to read about behind the scenes of something that you love because it's mostly people being unhappy. It's just mostly people, various degrees of bitter, like not paid enough, not given enough credit, overworked, not respected, quitting, arguing. It's just like what it just feels like the most unhappy place with some that they do cite explicitly a couple of periods where people are happy and they talk about that a little bit. But by and large, it's like, Jack Kirby stopped talking to Stan Lee. Everybody hated Jim Shooter, you know? Steve Gerber was filing a lawsuit and refused to talk to this person. Tom DeFalco was interviewing for a job and ready. Roy Thomas said he'd never talk to Stan Lee again or whatever, you know, like. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's just like, oh, geez, Louis. And then, cause it's, then I took a break from reading that book to read the issues of Fantastic Four that were going over today. And they're just so fun and delightful. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe these issues were produced in this environment of everybody just not liking each other. But was that happening at this point? Yeah. Was, were people miserable the moment Jim Shooter took over? Pretty early, they're like, there were a lot of people who hated this guy. Now, there there was a period of happiness on his watch. It's yeah. not really credited to him. It's it's really credited to Mark Grunewald, if anybody. That like I know, like people got more unhappy post Secret Wars one. Correct, correct. That that is that is definitely yes. I know what you're saying. Like relatively speaking, people were there was a crowd on board with the shooter era, like Claremont and Miller and Byrne were were kind of kind of on board yeah. with him at in the beginning of their tenures, or at least they respected a lot of his decisions. Uh, but then they all hated him and. He seemed to go to, to oversimplify it. It's like he got power man was making so many changes and so micromanaging that everyone just resented him. You you never we, I've never heard behind the scenes stuff for like the Joe Casada era, which was similar to Shooter felt like a lot of new blood kind of comes in or had just come in with like Brian Michael Bendis and Jason Aaron and Matt mm-hmm. Fraction, um, most of whom have left Marvel at this point and have gone on to other things. I don't hear most of them complaining too much. But yeah. I wonder if they were like, I wonder if it's always like, it's always the same thing. Everyone's excited to get their chance. Yeah. They're excited to be part of it. They see how successful everything is. Marvel becomes more successful underneath their work. Yes. And then they're like, oh, why am I not reaping what enough I, of yeah. benefits, which is a fair criticism. And then they leave and they sort of leave bitter and angry, even though they were probably happy for the first part of it. Yeah. Because they were like making more, making a name and it be, they became big comic book writers partially because of this and were able to do their own thing. Um, uh, but I don't know. I don't hear it as much. Ed Brubaker has come out and sort of is bitter about the Winter Soldier and how he doesn't like get a cut of that. And I think he's yes. in the right it, about it that. It makes sense that he created that story. He created the whole idea of it. Yeah. And he doesn't complain as much as you think he could, but he's come out a couple of times and basically said like, I don't get anything because I didn't create Bucky. It is weird. I mean, like, I'm sure what they think is something, some version of this, like a person who is staff writer on the Big Bang Theory and who is just a person in a writer's room for that sitcom made more money than Ed Brubaker did last year, you know, because they they are a low rung on on a lucrative project. And he is a very high respected rung in a not lucrative project, which is intellectual property comics that he didn't create the intellectual property. Yeah. And he even did. I understand. I understand his argument, but like, so it's got to be frustrating. It's like, well, I'm the top of the game and I get nothing. And there are people in parallel industries, not as successful, who are reaping in huge financial rewards. I mean, and Brubaker writes for TV. Now he wrote for Westworld, which he only got to do probably because of his time in comic books. Sure. Like, like anything, we often talk about UCB, which I don't want to get too deep into, but it's people like we're mad about UCB, but also some of them got work mm-hmm. not directly from UCB, but indirectly because of the people they met and the, what they what they learned and did yeah. at UCB helped them get these future jobs. Yeah. But in their mind, it's like UCB took advantage of me and I got this because I'm great, which is partially true, but also partially unfair. False. Right. Uh, and I feel the same way about comic books a little bit. But it's also like this weird thing. Comic books don't make a ton of money. 
Yeah, they don't the directly. The characters make a ton of money now. Yeah. They didn't during the shooter era, though. Uh, the comics did make money then. They did, but they didn't make... Like, they don't make... Like, MCU makes a ton of money. Okay, right, That's right. like no, real nothing, money, right? Nothing was yeah. making that kind of money in the comic book world in the 80s. Yeah. So, I don't yeah. know. It's 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 very tricky. But Shooter... To jump back to Shooter, Shooter also... I don't know if the book touched on this, but Shooter also, like, instituted the um, bonuses for, like, a book that sold really well. Yes, that's true. He he did seem to... Which is in, in crazy that, ways, did, that didn't exist before. That's right. Uh, although I think DC did it first, and that kind of forced Marvel's hand into doing it. Mm-hmm. But it did seem like Shooter was him. He was trying to lobby in favor of better compensation for artists and stuff and writers, mm-hmm. like for the creative people. It, yeah. it generally speaking seemed like he was more in favor of that than predecessors in his job. Um, more more willing to go to bat for it. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Did you have more to say about that book? I feel just like that I it's really interesting to read. It. I mean, it's a very famous, like you know, uh, uh, nonfiction book about Marvel history. It is very readable, and I can see why it's been recommended so much. I, I've tried to read a number of these books, and a lot of them are pretty dry. This one, this one's pretty fun. It moves, and it's got some good anecdotes, and it and it's it's well told. So I I respect it, but nonetheless, it it bums me up. Bums me up. I just said bums me out. You must and be getting close to the end. I mean, I, does the book I'm get into the s- ultimate universe? I don't know. I'm into the it's the section I'm in is called Boom and Bust, which is like the early '90s speculative variant cover so number I mean, one era. And, yeah, yeah, just just starting that. Um, yeah, I mean, it gets to Image Comics for sure when all those guys leave. It must get to Heroes Reborn. Yeah. It would feel crazy if it didn't, but I wonder how far past that it got. I read it and I can't remember where where, where it ended at. It's just really sad. And, and and there's a lot of Jack Kirby grousing and claiming that he created Spider-Man, which just makes him look foolish that he would make that claim. Yeah. I, I understand the logistics of why he said that. And his larger point of being uncredited and unrewarded is certainly true. Yeah. But that particular <laughs> example is just crazy. <laughs> it is crazy to be like, you invented Captain America, the Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, the Inhuman, Namor the, the Submariner, Iron Man, X-Men, the Hulk, and be like, and Spider-Man. It's like, all right, all right. All right, all right. It's like, okay, back off, pal. It's like, without that, you have the best case in the world. Yes. You don't, you don't need the credit. Even if that is true, it is certainly Let less it go. true than the other things. It's way less true. Like, So let's, let's dig in on the ones that you 100% were part of. Yeah, let's absolutely dig in on – let's start with Captain America because there's like no doubt about it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I, I do recommend it though if you're a Marvel fan, if you're listening to this podcast and you ha- and if you're like me and you've never read it. Like it's an easy uh, read and um, and it's a bit of – it's a bit of a uh, – even though it's a bummer, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. And 0% of the profit of that book goes to Jack Kirby. I can't believe it. He invented um, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's uh, should we uh, get into this? Yeah, let's get into some of the comic books. All right, that we so read. issue two thirty eight. It's a it's really a there's two comics and one in this. Mm-hmm. Basically, the first half is a Frankie Ray story, Torch's girlfriend, and the second half is a Thing story, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. this we finally find out what's going on with Frankie Ray. It's been like teased in previous issues where she's been like looking at herself naked in the mirror. And been shocked, and then the torch looks at her with her clothes off, and he is shocked, and now we see what's going on, right? 
Yeah, it's an interesting issue because there's no real villains. No, there's it's no superhero fight. Yeah, we learned we learned the backstory of Frankie Ray, which is that she is the daughter of the creator of the original. Oh no, she's the stepdaughter of the Phineas Horton who created the original Human Torch in yeah. Golden Age Marvel Comics. Right. Am I getting that's that right. right, Kevin? I'm looking to you so. for help here because um, you're I, smart I'm, and I'm dumb. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I feel like that character was not touched on much in Marvel up to this point. Like after this point, like I think well, he becomes like tied in with like the vision and other things. But I think that's all after this. It was well, it was a little bit before. Like the vision, the body of the vision before this was established to be. Was it already established before mm -hmm. this? Yeah, yeah. I know that was true, but I didn't know if that was a retcon from later on. I think it was true in the seventies, like pretty early on, not right away, but pretty oh, early right. on, they established that the, the body of the vision is the oh, body right. of the. Original. I thought that was a John Byrne West Coast Avengers thing, but I could be wrong on that. Why don't you talk, and I'm going to find out, so we're not totally, so I'm not totally done. <laughs> Okay, I don't know if you'll find that. Yeah, this and his, so this was explaining why Frankie Ray has clothes on when she drops her robe, which is sort of what we've been revealing. There's been a lot of like hints that when she's naked, that's something uh, that makes everyone gasp. Uh, and what makes everyone gasp is that she's not naked. She has a sort of skin tight gold suit on, which is part of her, uh, her superpower, her new powers. Yeah, and so we get a little backstory. Like she woke up. Like like uh, under a ro uh, under a overcoat and a burned out part of the apartment, um, and then she bursts into flames, flies to the roof, which is surprising. She does not like flames, and then she bursts into flames herself and flies away. And the human torch chases after her and tries to give her advice on how to be a human torch. And honestly, you couldn't ask for a better tutor in human torching than the human torch. Um, uh, and then she kind of gives her backstory, which. And this will be strange coming from somebody who's a big Kurt Busiek fan is a little too much backstory. It's like three pages of captions and describing something that happens. Yeah. When Kurt does that too much, I also don't like it. It just sometimes these comics have too much like telling me the backstory rather than like having me enjoy discovering it. I agree. Um, but it's a cool backstory. It's just it's a little dryly delivered. Her being a Human Torch character is really fun. And the brief glimpses we get of. Johnny and Frankie flying together looks pretty rad. Like it looks fun. And her design is really cool. Um, she looks different than Johnny, but it's a, it's a, it's a fun, cool look. Her hair, it like burns. Uh, she's got like a big yellow, her, where her suit, where her yellow suit was is yellow flames everywhere else is red flames, which makes her, I don't know, compliment Johnny's flames really well. They look cool flaming next to each other. There they isn't really, really a point to having two torches, but it no. looks cool. And like, yeah, and these, there's just some really good panel composition here. When Frankie Ray first flames on and flies out of her apartment building and the torch catches up with her, there's sort of like two uh, page wide panels on top of each other. And they're, and torch and Frankie are sort of like mirror images of each other. When you look at one on top of the other, this is where torch is saying, Frankie, Frankie, if you can hear me, slow down, you've got to slow down. And then she goes, slow down. Why? I'm free, Johnny. I know who I know who and what I am. I'm free. Those two panels, they just look great, like next to each other. They just got some mm -hmm. John Byrne page composition. Okay, I've looked, I've looked it up, Kevin. Um, yes, Roy Thomas created the vision, and he kind of had decided behind the scenes that he wanted it to be the original human torch's body. And then, but he quit and Steve Englehart took over. But Steve had known 
that that was Roy's idea, and they put it into place in the mid seventies. Okay. Um. So the original human, but the, but they were they didn't they didn't uh, do too much with the original Human Torch because there was like copyright com- you know claims like. Carl Burgos, the creator of the original Human Torch, was like in dispute and trying to get it back and stuff like that. So even though Marvel was pretty sure they had rights to the character, they were a little hmm. uh, they were a little careful about using him too much. But then I think right around this John Byrne era time, they're like, we're, we're going to use him. We're just going to use him. Like we're going <laughs> to use him whenever we want. And now he's like a member of Shield or something. I don't know what he is, but he's around again. The the original Torch, crazy. Um. Uh, it it is weird just how like Frank Jack Kirby, who you know was a working comic book guy doing Captain America at the time of the original Human Torch's prime in the forties, just would be like, ah, Fantastic Four, ah, we're gonna put a torch on here. We're just gonna put a torch, and call them yeah. the Human Torch. Like it would it would just be like if a writer was like, oh, I'm I'll make a group of superheroes, and one of them's called Superman. Not that yeah. Superman, but he does look exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he is a very cool looking design. Oh yeah. It's very simple, very fun. And making him a younger kid is also a fun as a fun choice. Like this was my took, like, favorite was superhero cool my whole yeah. elementary school life. I loved the human torch. Like make taking this cool character and putting him on the human the Fantastic Four was a smart decision. And it does show uh for all his faults that Stanley did know something that was cool. He was like, ah, this works. Yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. Stanley had good taste uh, in the '60s, no doubt about it. For a guy who like was in and out of wanting to stay with comic books, knew what was a cool comic book character. Like he knew the thing was cool and steered the comic towards him. He knew the torch was cool and put him in the team. Like he knew Ditko and Kirby were great. I don't know. There's some he like knew Iron Man didn't really work, so he didn't put a lot of energy into that. Yeah. Um. So, like you say, there's no real villain. We get. Frankie is now a second human torch. He, she, and Johnny are kissing at the end of the story, and the and Ben Grimm, the thing, walks in, and then was like, "Ugh, now what?" Uh, go back one page earlier and look at the test. So Reed runs some tests on Frankie yes. to find some arbitrary differences between her and the torch. Uh, the test Reed does is terrifying. <laughs> She's like strapped down to this thing. There's like four or five like laser guns pointed at her <laughs> um, and she's just willingly laying on that table. I mean, I guess you trust Reed Richards, but I would still be nervous. Yeah. Walk me through position. what you're going to do here. What's this laser gun do? What's this laser gun? Yeah. Do I need to have quite so many metal bands restraining me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the yes. basic, the basic power difference, what Reed says is it's his interpretation of male and female versions. Like Johnny can burn hotter, but not as long. And so she's got more endurance, but not quite can't reach as high temperatures. That's what and that's more what control says. too, right? Like she yeah, can do she's a more, more fine tuned, which for all intents and purposes is no difference between these two from whatever I can remember. We, we can just use them whatever they want. But I do remember when the official handbook of the Marvel Universe came out, and they would like detail all the powers of the characters. They were very precise in the differences between Frankie Ray and and Johnny Storm, and I I enjoyed that. Um, all right, so we got two torches. Then there's a one-page sort of teaser of the next issue, which is that there is a town where somebody has died, and there's people looking in an, over an autopsy thinking they have to call in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, frightened to death. They died of fear. Yep, and we don't yet know what anything more about that for this issue. Then there's a mm-hmm. one-page pinup of Sue Richards, which is sort of an old-school Jack Kirby thing where you would just have a 
full page drawing of one of the characters as if it's like a photograph they had taken and signed and sent out to their fans. Yeah. It's signed love and kisses to all our fans. Susan Richards. It's not like by John Byrne. It's yeah, I know. It's so funny. It's as if it's like a Hollywood photo. She's reading Shogun. She's got a book of Ogden Nash poetry. It's a book called Jerusalem experiments in popular culture. I don't know how many of these are real books and, I think most of these are real books. She's got The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. She's pretty – she's got a Pogo collection in there. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun. Uh, then we go into the next issue, which is inked by Terry Austin, who inked Burn through the X-Men issues, I believe. Yes, an, an excellent inker. My favorite inker, Kevin. Okay. Terry Austin, the king of the 80s Marvel inkers, I say. Um, uh for real, and here's I mean, another. It sounds story. silly to have a favorite inker, but generally, if 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 his name was on a book, it's like it's going to be good. Hey, I got no problem with that. I was a, okay. I always like Mark Farmer's name because of the work he did with Alan Davis and uh, Dale Keown. He'd worked with a little bit, so he would. That's a little later on from this, but I always remember his name because of that. Terry Austin is the Joe Sinnott of the '80s, if he if you ask me. Okay. So, but yeah, uh, the more things change. So this is basically Reed is going to make another attempt to cure Ben Grimm. Yeah, uh, and we first get introduced to a new Herbie robot, and I guess Herbie, during the era between the Kirby's run and Burns's run, Herbie was introduced into the comic at some point. Right. Obviously, Herbie, at least, I don't know if originally, but famously as part of the second Hanna-Barbera cartoon as the Human Torch replacement. Right. The When they did the Fantastic Four in the 70s Saturday morning cartoon show, they couldn't use the Human Torch because his copyright was being held by some other project or something like that and so they used herbie the robot and with jack kirby jack kirby worked with them on that like he did storyboards and stuff yeah and so then herbie must have been introduced in the ff comics i've never read those but this story implies he's got a history with ben Grimm. with the thing hates herbie which is very funny it's very funny so many parts of the ff that the thing hates uh, and so we see Reed reinstituting Herbie to be a babysitter for Franklin. Ben Grimm sees him and takes a swing at him immediately and tries to take him out before Reed can explain, oh, no, whatever problems we had with him have been fixed and he's a good robot now. He sees Herbie and his first I, – it makes me wonder what the backstory is here because the, what he says is, he's back, he's back. Don't worry, everybody. I'll smash him. Yeah. Nobody seems worried. Nobody seems worried. Also, I love the thing in Turtlenecks. John yeah. Byrne loves to draw the thing in big turtlenecks, and I think it's really kind of fun looking. And we got a big, we have a we have a thing turtleneck going on. So now Reed introduces what he says is going to cure Ben, and very explicitly, Ben thinks I'm worried that Alicia won't like me as Ben Grimm. She says she will, but she stammers a tiny bit when he first asks her, which maybe she's stammering just because it's such a crazy question. How could you think that? Is maybe why she's stammering. Yeah, We see her crying a little bit while he's going through the experiment, maybe for fear that he'd be hurt. But he's reading that at least as there's a chance that she doesn't like what's happening. And so it's revealed later because of his mental resistance, the cure doesn't work. And instead of reverting him to Ben Grimm, it reverts him just to an earlier version of the thing. Yeah. And sort so of the more like clean, lumpy yeah. version that was from the kind of original FF issues. Yeah, from those first few issues before he kind of got his brick look. Yeah, so he's less bricky and he's more like gloopy looking. Yeah. 
And I think it's just an excuse because Burn wanted to draw him different for a while. Sure. Burn draws a great thing, and uh, but he draws this thing well as as well, well as well. He draws this well as well, and so that's that's the issue. We got a we got a new torch and an old thing. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to the next one, Kevin? Yeah. What, what did you think about that issue? I thought it was fun, but who cares? Yeah, I enjoyed that episode. The episode. I keep saying episode. Uh, that issue. I enjoyed the issue. It it. And I don't necessarily care about supervillain fights. As you know, like my favorite X-Men issues were the, kind of the ones between action. Yeah, the table setting issues. Um, weirdly, this one felt lacking a little bit. Like, even though I don't care about the action, I was like, oh, it felt like it was missing a beat. Yeah. It did um, feel like all set up. Uh, even more so than those Claremont set up issues. It just felt like, oh, it's missing that thing. And maybe that's something Claremont would have brought to this if he was scripting it. Uh, if they were working together to build this story, but it isn't, it certainly isn't bad. It certainly is very fun. The ideas are cool. I enjoy just spending time with the FF. And I think it's more just coming off those other great issues. It just feels like, Oh, do we miss a step somewhere? And it doesn't really matter. Right. I kind of felt the same way. Uh, issue 239 Holocaust in the desert. Mm -hmm. So we find out that there's a town in New Mexico, Arizona or something, Arizona, I think. And it's like where people are being frightened to death. Yeah, Arizona. The FF go to investigate it. But we find out that the reason why the FF are being called in is one of the residents of this town is the thing's Aunt Petunia. Yeah, somebody he references all the time because he's Aunt Petunia's favorite nephew. Right. Something he references or he quotes my Aunt Petunia would always say. Yeah, and the name Petunia sounds like an old elderly woman, but she seems younger than him. She seems like someone in her late twenties. She's kind of a foxy, <laughs> a mm -hmm. foxy late twenties uh, Arizona lady, and um, and that's funny. And John Bird also loves drawing uh, pretty gals. So mm -hmm. here, here we got one, um, and it's just so funny. Like she walks in, and the th Ben Grimm exclaims, "Aunt Petunia!" and she's like, "Ben." And it's basically that he has an uncle who's older who married a much younger woman, which is her. And um, but she got married to Ben's uncle. Um, as as she put it, I became his student, Ben's uncle, and eventually his wife. That was years ago, thing. And she's been my favorite aunt ever since. <laughs> and somehow the yeah. rest of the FF never knew about this. It is it's also strange that he somehow got in the habit of quoting her and referencing her all the time. Uh, uh, despite the fact that she wasn't in his life, at least as an aunt, for more than a, a couple, a year or two before this <laughs> comic started, right? I mean, yeah, most. It doesn't make any sense, and it's really fun. I I love it. I love yeah. that choice. I like meeting her. I kind of wish she was a little older and had been his aunt for much longer, so it would make more sense why he'd be quoting her all the time. But whatever. That's again more just nitpicking. She's it's more fun than it is annoying. Uh, it also just shows Byrne loves to sort of mine. The existence of what's already out there. He loves to play with the FF mythos. Yeah. Um, so what happens here is this little village and uh, there are creatures who come. There's been an archaeological dig. It's going deep into the earth and it has freed an evil presence of little elf demon creatures who occasionally at night go through the town and just scare the crap out of everybody. Yeah. So much that some people die. Um, also, the thing is in his original costume which is a full body suit i don't think it has the helmet but otherwise it's the full suit he would wear again just showing burn wanting to play with like the old kirby stories just like he's an f he's a fan of the original ff and he wants to play with those action figures so he draws them 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but most of the stories about these sort of like little demons that come out. Uh, there's like a little girl, Wendy, who is being abused by her father. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty harsh. Yeah. A subplot, right? Like we see, we meet this girl, Wendy, who is kind of just like a, a friendly girl in town and everyone knows her. Uh, she and 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 um, we meet her father or stepfather who is, yeah, physically beating her, which is said very explicitly in this. And it's sad uh, and sort of intense and dark. Um, yeah. And it seems like these demons are her friend or controlled by her. She's by made end? friends with them and they'll protect her. Like when the father beats her, they come out at night and kind of wreak their revenge on him and society. It's never totally spelled out, like, how did she meet them? What are their powers? We don't know. Yeah. What is revealed is that it lo- they, because of the archaeological dig, Reed can see that 10,000 years ago, there was some kind of disturbance that, like, reset things. So when they do eventually see these little creatures, Reed is like, they must visit every 10,000 years is yeah, the conclusion he, he They see two layers of that. Yeah, so – uh, but they don't really ever – this is a one-and-done story, so we don't really ever learn the full extent of what these creatures mean except that just Wendy's friends with them. Um, yeah. What would you think of this one, Will Hines? I thought it was really fun. I, I like I like Burns' one-and-done stories. I love a good one-and-done, and I feel like um, they're hard to do, and he does them pretty well. Uh, you know, for all the characters that get brought back and – be and be done a million things with this is one i would wendy grown up who's friends with demons that feels like an origin story to me and a, and a pretty fun one you know um, a girl who, yeah. a, a good person who has befriended evil forces who will help her that's a fun partnership um, yeah but i don't think we cool. ever i don't think we ever see her again it is some very cool ideas again it both, uh, I would say all three of these issues we're covering today i'll feel like they're just missing a beat and i can't really put into terms what that is like the action here is like just putting out a fire is basically the only action that really happens in here yeah um and it's certainly a good idea and a cool idea but it's another one that just sort of like reads like well uh these demons attacked us last night i think that's done yeah right let's leave and it's like yeah okay we're sure it's done reed just kind of declares i think they're i think they won't come back and it's over it's like he's right like it's over yeah He's right, but it feels strange. Yeah, but um, yeah, I agree. There's something a little bit missing. Yeah, I think it's just the nature of you do an issue every month, and if you hit your deadline, some of them yeah. are going to fully ripen, and some of them won't. This one didn't. It's I think it's still an enjoyable read, but yeah, it's it's not one that sticks in my mind too much. It it maybe needs ten more pages to like fill in a little bit more to have I agree. more fun with it. But it feels like we're just hitting Act Three and it and it's over. Maybe it should have been a two issue thing yeah but though that might be too long but maybe this with a little bit of that thing story like there might be a way to pace this issue and the previous issue just a little differently to maybe get... give us an ampetunia subplot learn a little bit more about why she means so much to him mm-hmm. in fact there could be room there, there. now we're talking that's 12 uh issue maxi series <laughs> with the squadron supreme and Aunt petunia <laughs> Aunt petunia is going to join the squadron supreme don't brainwash her um <sighs> all right issue 240 uh, uh, so, this is an Inhumans story, Will. And I, I did love it. I love seeing John Byrne draw the Inhumans. So the Inhumans, you know, this is a classic of the original Fantastic Four run. And if you're John Byrne and you're a fan of that run, you're going to want some Inhuman stories if you want to be doing the original FF spirit. Yeah. Right? And I feel from when we did our read of the Fantastic Four, the original comics, that 
the best part of that run is all in humans. It's like, even though you know, Galactus is the best story and this man, this monster is probably the best single issue. And those aren't inhuman stories. The existence of the inhumans um, until they sort of are uh, moved out of the book is like that golden period where just like the whole book just feels huge. And uh, um, just like so many cast members and it just feels expansive. And the inhumans are a big part of that. So I, in my mind, I feel like they should always be part of the FF. Um, they, they feel, they feel natural here. So what, what, what's happening, Kevin, is the inhumans who live in Attilan, right? That's the name of their is city. It, or is it Adelan? Um, I don't know how it's pronounced. I'm so embarrassed that I don't know either. Kevin, keep talking. I'm going to find out how to say oh, it. Oh boy. Um, it starts with Quicksilver showing up. Quicksilver has married Crystal, Johnny Storm's ex-girlfriend, and, and she is pregnant with his child. Uh, at this point, they're now divorced and it's a whole thing. But at this point, they're happily married and they're about to have a child. And Quicksilver has come to the FF to get their help because the Inhumans are dying. But when he shows up, he sees a thing who looks slightly different. So he attacks <laughs> until he realizes it's actually the thing. Yeah. Um, so that's a good little tie-in to our previous issues. Mm -hmm. um, I think I had not known about Quicksilver before I read these issues. This is probably uh, where I discovered. That's probably it. true. This is probably the first time I've saw Quicksilver. That's got to be true. Um, there's a nice little moment where Johnny is a little protective of Crystal and a little just kind of hurt that she's with somebody else and having a baby with somebody else. Yeah, that's uh, a real though, thing. Even if you're not still in love with somebody, there's always a part of you that's like, oh, yeah, that, could have been me. Or... Other world that would have been me. Yeah, that sort of thing. Like he's happy with Frankie Ray right now, but yeah, I get so, it. This is another issue that has a lot, even more so than the previous issue, um, or even more than the the Frankie Ray story. A lot of like recap, like just two or three pages of just dry and humans backstory. And that again, that's these three issues didn't wow me as much because there's just too much of that. And I don't know if this is a story that was told in another comic. It almost feels like it is, but I don't think it was. Uh, I think it's just I think Byrne had just too many ideas. And he didn't want to wait to get them out. He wanted to get to the fun, I, the fun parts. So he's just trying to get through like this backstory. And so this whole story of like the um, enclave attacking and Mad uh, Mad Maximus fighting them, fighting them off, um, and Medusa being kidnapped briefly and then coming back, sort of all just sort of happens in this. So maybe this is a, a an annual somewhere that we've missed like an Avengers annual or something. It, yeah, it feels like it was told before, but... Uh, and if that's the case, I get it. But it, it's it's so much just sort of dropped on me here that I, it it stops the momentum of this very fun beginning with Quicksilver attacking the FF and then this cool ideas in the second half that I, I kind of, the middle part of this comic, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay. Right, so, but what what is established is that Maximus, who had been a villain, sacrificed himself to save the species and so is now a hero mm -hmm. um and but everybody's dying and, and they're dying uh for the same reason that crystal used to get sick when she would leave their city and that is because the uh pollute a pollution in our air was too much for her so like back in the kirby stories we found out that crystal was dying because she couldn't live like in new york city because of all the pollution she could only live in like this like whatever this tibetan uh, um, fortress they had where the air was cleaner. So I think Burn, maybe I think you might be right that it's Adelan. I don't know why I always said Attila. Maybe because of Attila the Hun. 
I mean, uh, sure. And it's in Tibet. You could be 100% right. I have what? no idea. Um, I've So Attilan or Adelan, sometimes it's just called the Hidden Land, which is yeah. their little their little secret city. Um, um, yeah, and we find out that they are dying from pollution, like the pollution that used to not be in Tibet has now is now worldwide, and that makes sense. So they, they can no longer survive, and Reed has an interesting solution. Um, move the city to the moon. Yeah, he finds out that city is able to be moved, and he's like, oh, then we've got our solution. There's a blue area on the moon where the Watcher lives that has oxygen. It's where Jean Grey, the phoenix, was killed. Um, and so it's just sitting there with nobody living yeah. in it. So they move the city there and crush the ruins on this, on this area with, with uh, the inhuman city. Right. Uh, but it's very cool. It's a cool location for them. They were there for a long time until maybe like 10, 15 years ago. I think they were on the moon. I don't know where they are now. I think right. they're in a floating city on our planet again. doesn't matter. Uh, so for a long time, that was their status quo. It was a cool place to put them. I love the Inhumans. I did not like them as a kid. So I don't think they are perfect. Like the FF are just like, I. it's hard to imagine someone reading an old FF comic and not loving the characters, even if they didn't love the comic. I can see not loving the Inhumans, but as I get older, I sort of love all the crazy designs and looks and powers of this weird team. I like how just crazy the powers of the Inhumans are, like a teleporting dog, a guy whose power is karate chopping a weak point in a structure. It's just so a guy with like hooves that can make earthquakes. Yeah, it's just it's fun. They're just so it's they are the most Kirby heroes, I think, even more so than the new gods. And I think Medusa is a great female character for one that came out during a period of terrible female characters. That's true. She's she's one of the best to come out of the 60s. I totally yeah. agree. Her um, power is cool. She's, she's, she's cool. She's, it's visually interesting. She's uh, interesting personality. She's she's uh, an aggressive power. She's not a passive power. Um, she's in a sense more aggressive than Black Bolt, whose power keeps him from doing anything. Right. And she sort of like leads for him in a lot of ways. She's so cool. I love her. I, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a, we're, we're big Medusa fans here in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they move to the moon, and I guess there's no enemy here either, right? Just illness is the enemy. Yeah. There was no and, real fights. Three issues. The biggest fight we had was putting out fires in Arizona. The art in this Inhumans uh, one in uh, issue 240 is really good. Just like the sight of the city flying through space, the emergence of the Inhumans into their new home. It's really great looking. Yeah, there's I mean, I think stuff. John, John Byrne's art is just on. Yeah, the Watcher observing. Um, and for once, not getting involved. Good for you, Watcher. No, actually, living by his vow of non-interference. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, the story of this issue is pretty simple, but the the images really did stay with me. You know how you have those images from comics you read as kids, and stay, like the image of the city floating up from Earth to the Moon always yeah. stayed in my head. Um, I read in in the um. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy's heyday, the the new, the ones that are in the movie, the ones that had the holiday special, uh, when uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning were doing the comic series that sort of inspired that movie, mm-hmm. the Inhumans became a part of that story. Uh, and it's hard for it, during that period when they, they were still on the moon briefly for the beginning of that. I remember just being like, I remember how they got to the moon. I remember reading those stories. And <laughs> just like, it's hard to shake that. It's just being like, oh, it's so cool that they were moved there and they're still there. Like, it made me yeah. feel like I hadn't missed anything. Yeah. Um, and this well, last I... splash page of them, the second to last page of the comic is really cool of them all just 
walking out of their city and all yeah, the I different characters. Yeah, I think that's such a great, such a great full page, you know, uh, image. And then it ends with um, Quicksilver and Crystal's baby being born healthy. Yep. Her name will a- be Luna because she was the first child born on the moon. It's it's sweet. It's sweet. I you know I don't know. I actually this is a really good this is a really good issue. Um, and I think if you're reading these John Byrne issues for the first time, I'd love to hear what people think about issue two forty. Yeah, I found our... them a little a little off pacing wise, but otherwise, a, a, a poor John Byrne FF issue is still I think a great comic. It's like a it's like a filler Beatles track is still one of the greatest pop songs you can it, hope you know have. it's like you will when you're in high school it's like I expected a pluses all the time so when you did like a b plus a minus work I was <laughs> you know it's still a good grade I'm not really you had a bad grade but mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed in you you were disappointed me, me and your dad would talk to you about it <laughs> I and, don't remember uh, this oh so, like I when I was 16 and you were like 11 is what you're yeah, saying that's right <laughs> and you'd come home and we like how'd you do on your chemistry test you'd be like I, I got an a minus and I'd be like oh I mean I guess that's good I do expect really don't more from you. I expect more from you. And you I don't remember this. You'd push back a little bit, but I think, you know, hmm. you graduated what top of your class. So I feel like we did our job, me yeah. and your dad. Yeah, I don't remember either of you noticing hmm. grades, but well, uh, okay. I guess I guess I mean, we did our job. Out. We did our job perfectly then. Okay. I guess there's an argument for that. Uh, <laughs> should we take a break and come back and do some mail? Let's do some or some correspondence. Yes, correspondence. <laughs> All right, so we're back. We're into the correspondence uh, segment of the Cosmic Rays of Correspondence episode. If you want yeah, to email we- us, you can email us at screwitcomics at gmail. We also have a burgeoning Instagram account, recently surpassed 1,500 followers, Screw It Comics. You could be one of those. You could be one of those on Instagram. You could be part of the hashtag Screw It Insta Push. Uh, we've also uh, on Twitter at Screw It Comics. So uh, please check us out. Um, and uh, email us about anything comics related at all, uh, Kev- or war games related. We do have our sub podcast group. We're just going to talk about war games that shows up now and then. Mm-hmm. So we're also open to correspondence about the movie War Games. Uh, Kevin, what do we got? We've gotten a ton of emails. We've gotten a bunch recently, which is great. Uh, we won't get to most of those because I haven't gone through these, and so I'm just going to kind of go in order from oldest to however far we get. But I wanted to read one first that is not quite the oldest, but um. A few people wrote us about this. A few people tweeted us about this, but I'm, I'm picking this one email because I see it uh, clearly. Hey. Uh, ben Sanborn emailed us. This is about the uh, the cover to the 20th anniversary yes. of Fantastic Four. I read about this in the book I'm reading, The Untold Story. And we mentioned how when we looked at it, we're like, oh, why isn't Kirby on this? That was surprising to us. We know Byrne is a big Kirby fan. It's weird to have Stanley and not Kirby. Um, and so Ben... Uh, sent us a link with the story behind this and uh, kind of explained it here. And I'm going to read what he sent. Uh, As it turns out, John Byrne turned in the cover with Jack Kirby featured on the cover. But according to Byrne, Marvel editor-in-chief Jim Shooter had the cover removed. Uh, However, however, what was unclear at the time was why Shooter made the move. Most fans presumed that it was some pissiness on the part of Shooter that led to the removal of Kirby's image. The real reason, though, was... uh, uh, was in writer Ronan Rose Tales to Astonish, his book about Jack Kirby. As it turned out, at that time period, Kirby was having problems with Marvel. And one of the issues he had was the use of Marvel, the, the use of Marvel using his name and likeness to promote their products, which makes sense. After all, it's kind of messed up to see a company you're having problems with using your likeness to sell their stuff without giving you anything in return. 
Therefore, when Kirby was alerted to his image appearing on the cover at Fantastic Four 236, he, or a lawyer of his, requested that it be removed, which Marvel acquiesced. Uh, and that all makes complete sense. It doesn't yes. make sense that Byrne would not have put it there. It also doesn't really make sense to me that Shooter would have, on his own, said we can't have that there. I can see maybe his bosses demanding that for some reason, but not Shooter himself. But certainly if Kirby asked, they're going to honor that. And when you do look at the cover, to the left of Stanley is a blank spot, and that's where Kirby would have been. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense. We didn't know that. A lot of people rightfully let us know. We appreciate it. Um, the milksops have been schooled. Yeah, no prize for uh, John Byrne on that one. We'll send one to Ben and one to John Byrne. <laughs> That's right. Um, he's been waiting for one. <laughs> uh, so now I'm going all the way back to October. Will for an email we got from Thomas Fransom. Uh, he's asking. I was curious if either of you have read the Walking Dead comics. It seems like the series might not be something you two would gravitate towards. Uh, but they were a huge piece of the comics landscape for many years before an apparently disappointing ending that soured a lot of people in the series. I never finished the series, so I don't have an opinion on its ending. Just heard it was jarring and weird. I was really into them for a stretch around 2011 to 2013 and then dropped off. I started to reread the series recently, and despite some growing pains at the start, it's a very engaging and holds up well, especially the melodrama between the characters. My biggest complaint would be that the tone can, can be a bit too edgy. But other than that, it's a fun horror read. What's your relationship with the franchise, if any? Thanks. I'll go first because I think Kevin has a little bit more of one. But I, I read Walking Dead on Kevin's recommendation from the opening for a while. I read it through the character of the governor uh, showing up and causing a lot. I will keep this spoiler free, causing a lot of uh, mayhem. And then the end of the governor and a little bit further. And then I, I sort of just got tired of it and just kind of non-angrily left it behind. I never watched the television show, so I don't know anything about that. Kevin? Um, yeah, uh, I I read... I don't know what, what issue I dropped. I did not finish it as well, though I read the final issue when it came out because I was curious. Um, I read it up until Negron, I think his name, who's basically like another governor, Okay, uh, shows up. Um, and it was... For a while, I thought it was great. Uh, yeah. I thought it was really, really great at the start. It stayed really good. And just as I was starting to get bored of it when they were living in the prison, uh, I thought it got even better. Like it, it sort of found a second wind and I was like, oh, amazing. I can't believe they're keeping this going. Uh, and then I sort of started getting bored of it and more bored of it. And I kept like waiting for this next wind. I kept it because I was like, oh, I almost got bored before and it got really good. So I kept waiting for that to happen again. Um, and when this character who I'm calling Negron, but probably had a slightly different name than that showed up um the first issue with him was just like uh, like there was a, a character got killed and it was just the way they got killed i was like it wasn't like i was against that it, that's what the comic is it's about is it, people, could it be know. negan smith that's it okay i mean there's no other neg character <laughs> um but like once that happened i was just sort of like oh i guess i don't want to read this anymore it's not fun uh it's it, it, it just lost me yeah. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what issue he showed up in, but he was around for a while based on solicitations that I saw online and stuff. So um, I think I made the right choice. I read the final issue. I thought it was good. Uh, it, it's this weird thing that comic ran like 150 issues or so. Sure. Um, by one creative team. And, you know, that's a testament to like, you know, it's their book. Yep. Well, it's not quite a, a different artist started it, but, um, 
you know, other than six issues, it was these two guys did every single issue. There's something really impressive about that. But when something runs that long, I I don't think I've ever read a comic by one creative team that I still enjoyed after a hundred issues. Right. Um, like Savage Dragon by Eric Larson, I thought was really fun for a while. And then I sort of lost interest in it. I, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's just like, it lost it, me. It, it just, it gets it was, old. Yeah. Um, and then things that are great are like, you know, Neil Gaiman's Sandman ends after 75 issues. Like things that, and things that do that work out really well. Like Fables, I loved for a while. And then around issue 80 or 90, I was like, oh, I'm bored of this. And yeah. I loved Fables. Yeah. And it ran for over 100 issues. There's something about like around 70 issues. That's generally it's as interesting. long as like one voice can probably dr- drive a book. Not always. There are exceptions, I am sure. Write in with your exceptions, everyone. But it makes me wonder if like if Robert Kirkman and, and Charlie uh, Adlard had said like, hey, let's have somebody else take over this book. Maybe it would have like that would have given it more life and it would have been great. But then, of course, yeah. it's not a create. And I, then it becomes like another IP yes. thing. And right. Like, so that. But it's also like, why should you end something that's working and selling and so successful? Um, oh, I don't know. It's it's interesting, and I do think, I I think I want to second your notion there about the seventy five issue mark because it was great for Sandman. It's just, it was such a it, yeah. It get, it's long enough that it feels epic, but it's it's not too long. You can reread Sandman not without too much trouble. A hundred um, bullets was a hundred issues, and I think it. It loses it a little bit right by the end, but not a lot. But I think if it had gone much longer, it would have been bad for it. Stan and Jack did FF for 102? Yeah. And you could argue that the worst part was maybe the earlier issues. But um, yeah. yeah, there's something to that. I remember Mike Carey, when he did Lucifer, when they asked how long it was going to go, he was like, he was aiming for 75 issues. He's like, that's what Sandman did. That's how I sort of mapped out this arc. Um, and there is something, I think 75 is a sweet spot because that, because of Mike Carey saying that and Neil Gaiman doing it, I was sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, one more thing about, uh, Walking Dead is 28 Days Later had come out around the same time that Walking Dead started, I think. Yeah. And they start the same way. And I guess it was independently, Mm -hmm. you know, arrived at, it's not the craziest thing to have somebody waking up in a hospital bed to find that zombies have taken over while you've been in a coma. But, um, it was yeah. interesting to see these two different like zombie properties kind of start with almost and I think Kirkland, the main guy watched Kirkman. the hospital Kirkman, uh sorry, uh, wa- the main character whose name I don't know because I'm a false fan, Rick. walks through the hospital going, Hello, hello, hello. And that's Ewan McGregor's big thing in 28 Days Later, is he's always saying hello, hello everywhere he goes. Yeah, I read like when Kirkman did the comic, he basically said, like, I think when that movie came out, he was like, Oh crap, do I need to change this? Yeah. And then he basically opted like, I don't want to change it. Uh, I think he was right because it read great. I really I love the opening of Walking Dead. I think it's really good. Uh, I'm going to get some of this wrong, but there is a Kirkman has come out and said, like, when he pitched it to Image Comics. There was a fake twist he built into the story where like the zombies would be caused by aliens. And that would be like this would really be an aliens story. Okay. Uh, and it was because he didn't think he could sell the zombies. Um, and then when the comic was kind of such an immediate success, he was like, oh, good. I don't need to do this thing I didn't really want to do. Okay, great. Like yeah. He kind of <laughs> launched it hoping he wouldn't have to do this. But like he used it in his pitch to try to get the comic sold. And maybe it was a thing like Image was like, we don't care about this part. Or maybe yeah. it was successful. I don't quite know. But there was something to that where like he had a 
because he was also doing Invincible, which had a big twist at the first year mark. Um, and I think he's sort of like, oh, this will help sell my book. And he's probably right. But uh, it's very funny to think that Walking Dead was almost stupid. Um, so funny. I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, so that's our experience with Walking Dead. Milksop's a little bit more up on it than you guys expected. Yeah, yeah, we read comics that don't involve uh, 1980s cloak and dagger superheroes. No. You, you do. Uh, well, I, you I read this too. Do. I guess you I did. It. Yeah. Um, and you read this one too. We have an email from Zeke. Subject: Superheroes to non-super zeros. I was thrilled to hear you were dedicating an episode or two to Love and Rockets. I enjoy your conversations every week, but I left Marvel Comics 35 years ago and would love more episodes on a wider range of genres. Uh, Will from Mutants and Mailbags number 29. By the time I stopped reading superhero comics, let's hear more about what you've read since then. In an earlier episode, you've mentioned you've read Criminal, Fatal, Promethea, and Mind Management. Why not do some episodes on those series? I encourage you to continue to branch away from superheroes and talk about all the other books you've read and enjoyed. Cheers, Zeke. No, Zeke. The answer's no. <laughs> um, we, I actually I love hearing from our listeners over what they want us to cover, so I always welcome that. We're, we're not really able to do the many requests we get because we get a lot of them, but it's interesting to hear that. Um, I think I've said it before, but I'll tell you, my my arc of comics was generally this. I read tons of Marvel from like 83 to 88, uh, a fair amount of DC, and this includes like digging through back issues and reading collections and stuff. I'm pretty pretty well versed on DC and Marvel from like Silver Age through the end of the 80s to whatever that means. And then I kind of got bored and went into Fantagraphics land and read a lot of like RD comics and the Dan Klaus, Chris Ware, Hernandez Brothers, Adrian Tomini, Tomini, uh, uh, Realm. It's Adelan. It's his name is Adelan. And uh, and then I would read drawn and quarterly stuff like Seth and Chester Brown. Um, you know, that, that that was kind of the realm I went in for the 90s and the early 2000s. And then it was really just sort of once or twice a year, I go into the comic shop and buy like honestly a couple hundred dollars of the stuff and just like whatever I've heard of, you know, and that could be anything from like, I should read this Tom King vision series and I'll buy it all at once, you know, or like, oh, I want to buy a couple issues of, uh, you know, could could be anything like. um, Uh. I have read nothing else, but um, something <laughs> usually stuff that Kevin is reckoning could be like Walking Dead. I mean, that's that's earlier, but just like uh, I'll hear a lot of people. Re- oh, like the House of X, Powers of X, I finally read, but that had been on my radar since it came out and everybody was talking about it. I was like, I got to read that. You know, so something will get enough buzz that I'll just be curious about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've read superheroes a lot and then uh, later to jump off, but I was also younger uh, than Will, so much younger and handsomer. Uh, so it's harder to jump off superheroes because of that. Um, and but I did like I just never quite stopped reading superheroes too. Part of that is because I love comic books, and there's just no matter what, it's like half of the comic books that are put out are superhero books. More than half of them are probably Marvel and DC books. Uh, as much as Image is big and Dark Horse and all these other ones are great, it's just like there are a ton of superhero books, and to just not read superhero books is just to close my, myself off to a ton of great comics. So I've continued to read superhero stuff, but I, you know, I read Richard Salas stuff. I read Paul Grist um, and, and tended not to go to the big independent names. I never really read Acme Novelty Library much. I've read a few issues of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I this weekend I read a graphic novel on the history of pinball machines. Oh, that's fun. So there was no superheroes in that. Um, 
but like it was great. And I'll, I'll read stuff like that. I read the new Reckless book by Ed Brubaker. Those are all tremendously good. Um, I read The Fifth Beetle, which was a graphic novel biography of Beatles manager Brian Epstein. It was really, really satisfying read. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of I kind of read it all as much as I can consume. I, I like to read comic books. I'm reading Mickey Mouse comic strips with my son. He loves them. I bet you that's fun. I got into a kind of racist stretch and had to sort of try to skim through it fast. Double down on it. Oh, OK. Yeah. No. <laughs> more sense. Uh, just where characters are sort of drawn a little bit like, oh, yeah, this was the, uh... the way you drew an Asian character or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There were natives. That was a. Uh, uh, I was like, oh, let's just move past this fast and hopefully it doesn't imprint on him. Yeah. Um uh, so anyway, so that's, yeah, that's, maybe we'll that's maybe we'll Zeke. talk about stuff. We do we do like the um we like the non-superhero stuff. We we honest honest to God. Yeah. But I mean also a lot of our listeners love the superhero stuff, so it's trying to find a balance as yeah. part of it. We're also, yeah, we're we're suckers for our burgeoning popularity. Um, I got an email from Robert Christ. I've actually got a handful of emails. I, I'm going to respond to some of them offline. I haven't gotten to those because I'm bad. But he asks uh, if we're baseball fans. This is during the postseason he wrote this. Okay. Um, he talks about the Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Philly, Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do the Danbury boys from MLB fandom align? Um, he goes, sorry if you're Mets fans and a woe if you're the Baltimore fans. And if you're a Phillies fans, um, uh, uh, good luck if you're Yankees fans, and yikes if you're a Boston fan. <laughs> well, we're yikes. <laughs> yeah, we're Boston fans. For some reason, we're Boston fans. I, I, I think this was me who did this when I when we moved to Danbury. Danbury's mostly in Yankees territory, but because New it York is territory, New- Yankees, Mets, Yankees, Mets, but it's also New England. So there, there's a fair amount of Boston fandom in Danbury. That's probably the southernmost boundary of Red Sox nation. But like the cable channels that we got would cover Red Sox games. Like you could see most Red Sox games on TV and Yankees games. Yankees would be on Channel 11 and the Red Sox on Channel 20. So they were kind of both around. Yankees a little bit more. Honestly, I liked the logo of the Red Sox. And when I was first getting into baseball was the late 70s. And this is your Jim Rice, Fred Lynn, Dwight Evans uh, era. And they were cool. And I just liked the Red Sox and I sort of stuck with them forever. And then Kevin fell under my spell and also decided to like the Red Sox. It it yeah. wasn't it wasn't super crazy to like the Red Sox and Danbury, but we were in the minority. We were for sure in the minority. Cause I think I remember when the our local paper started carrying the Red Sox scores regularly. Cause they mostly they, were focused on New York and they didn't just do recaps of all the Boston games. But at some point in high school time, they started doing Boston and New York games. And that was, um, like, and that was a that big was a win. Thing. Yeah, uh, I was a basketball fan first, and so I was a Celtics fan, and you were a Red Sox fan. So it was pretty easy for me to get pulled into their talent. Also, I started watching sports in the mid to late '80s. So Larry Bird was on the Celtics, and Roger Clemens was on the Red Sox. It was a good Boston time. Those were good teams. Um, the Yankees were not good. In yeah, that was one of the Yankees' downtimes. Yeah. I could have become a Mets fan, but because I was already a Celtics fan and you are a Red Sox fan, it seems crazy to imagine I would not have been a Red Sox fan. Um, and so we're we're kind of we're kind of lifelong yeah. Red Sox fans, like, and we're and we are baseball fans, and we've dug deep into it, and mm-hmm. I, I ebb and flow in terms of how much attention I pay to baseball, but there have been times when I paid a lot, like years. So like I do have a pretty good just like base knowledge of the history of the game and stuff like that, like. Some seasons I follow less than others. 
Phillies, I was excited for the Phillies. I, I think of them as an underdog team in recent times, and I was glad to see them make a run for it. I, I was excited. It was a good story. I lived it was, outside. It's not the Yankees. I can usually get into it. I lived outside Philly for a while. I went to some games there uh, at their old stadium. I'm 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 pro Phillies. Uh, go go Phillies. I also, even though the Mets beat the Red Sox in '86, uh, after after them being bad for a while, I sort of warmed up to them, uh, and I root for the Mets too. I just can't root for the Yankees. Um, and I live in Los Angeles, and I the Dodgers are my National League team because they're my current local team, and I love going to Dodgers games. It's a great stadium. Uh, it's very close to where I live, so it's fun. I I, I don't know. I still yeah. love baseball. Can't root for the Dodgers. They're just too good. <laughs> they are quite good, and there's a lot and of they, former, you know, Mookie, Mookie Betts is Betts. there. Yeah, yeah. it just it's it hurts to see him. <laughs> it does. It, not very, on the it Red hurts Sox. to see, and it's Mookie. not the Dodgers' fault. It's not Mookie not Betts' fault. But I. I just I'm not ready for it yet. Every time I think I'm going to be, I watch him playing in a game. I'm like, oh, I guess I hope their team loses. <laughs> um, so but yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan and they're bad right now. They're bad. Yikes, yikes is right. Uh we've got an email here from Zach. Um, Galfanakis? Uh yeah, Zach Galfanakis. Mm. Uh his subject is just praising the milk sops. Uh outside of secondhand murder porn, what the <laughs> okay. <laughs> Strange first sentence. Okay. Outside of secondhand murder porn, when in the car with my wife, I've never listened to a podcast before. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, But I recently on a whim decided to look for a comic based podcast and yours was the one that caught my eye as someone who didn't read comic books until I was a grown man. I'm now 35 and I've heavily, heavily gotten into comics in the last year. Uh, It has been awesome to burn through the past five years of your podcast and get insights on the comics I need to read. I started my journey in 2019 when I read the entire new Star Wars canon, uh, including the comics before the release of Rise of Skywalker. After that, I would randomly get a few comics here and there, but it was the past year where I dove headfirst after replaying the Arkham game and decided to read the source material for these characters I'd grown up with in movies and cartoons. I only read trade paperbacks, but I've recently gotten super into collecting artist variants and special issues to remain boarded and bagged to remain mint. My question is, do either of you get into the collecting of special comics or variants that you keep pristine? You've mentioned several times that you will buy the same books over and over when they release new deluxe editions and whatnot. But I wasn't sure about comics you buy to never read. I've yet to pull the trigger on a graded comic myself, but was curious about your thoughts on that aspect of the comic collecting culture. Uh, Sorry for the long-winded email, but I expect to let you guys know that I love your podcast. It will remain to be one the only one I listen to. Good. Uh, and thank you for only continuing to feed this newfound obsession that I have found from such an amazing medium that I took too far to get into. Ditko Bless signed Wolverine. <laughs> he's, he's into our jokes. So I he's like into it. our in jokes. Yeah. Um, I've never been a collector who like worries about keeping things pristine. I, I'll buy certain books over and over again if I'm very sentimentally, sentimentally attached to the story. Like I've bought Love and Rockets a number of times and I'll buy like Born Again, Daredevil Editions or Dark Knight Returns or something like that. But or Sandman, but that's because I'm really, really into those issues, and I and I love having them. That's rare, and I and I've never really been into buying a comic to keep it pristine. We had a relationship with Shortbox for a while, and I like those guys a lot. So I bought a couple of their graded comics just to sort of be a good partner. Mm-hmm. And I and I do think it's it's nice that they provide a good way to shop for that stuff. But it's never really been our jam. Yeah, same as what Will said. Everything there. Yeah, I. Uh, I don't get buying comics not to read them. 
I can imagine buying a graded comic again if it was a comic that I loved. And even the ones I've bought through Shortbox were ones that I already enjoyed and loved and loved the covers of. They're not ones that I haven't read or don't care about the stories of. I can't get pulled into like, oh, it's a, a cover. Yeah, I can't like, buy them. I can't think of them as investment opportunities. I, I, I'm not excited about that. I bought I bought the original appearance, the first appearance of Cloak and Dagger, the Bill Mantlo story in Spectacular Spider-Man because I loved it as a kid. I love that issue. I love the cover. I wanted it as a thing to my have. Wife, That's my wife got me the cover date of the Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man comic that came out on my birth. Um, so I have that framed uh, somewhere. Uh, and so that's just sort of cool to have. I love Spider-Man. That's the issue that came out cover date um, when I was born. So it's sort of a neat thing to have. But like, that's not about collecting it for money. I don't see me turning around and selling that. Unless you've got an offer. Well, we're open to offers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I'm going to do a few more, Will. I don't know how long you have. I got all night. Okay. I just, I, I noticed, you know, like you're getting dressed, you're putting on your tie, you're... No, 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 I'm good. Get, I'm good. Don't worry out. about it. Don't worry about it. Driver, I'll be there in a minute. Okay. Uh, here's an email we got from Benari. Uh, this is for when you cover the Walt Simonson Thor run. I love this email, by the way. Well, <laughs> uh, something we may cover. We might. Yeah, it's not. But this is as if it's a foregone conclusion. I love this. He goes, hiya, Milksops. Still loving the show. No notes. Just throwing out a pitch for when, if you cover the Simonson Thor run. And you absolutely should. May I recommend calling it Hammers and Mail? Just playing That's the long good. game here. Keep That's on sopping. Good. It's Keep really on good. Sopping. Uh, I love the idea of people pitching us. Our brother did this as well, but I love people <laughs> pitching us names for mailbag episodes that we're not necessarily ever going to do. <laughs> Hammers and Mail is pretty good. Hammers and Mail is very good. So thanks, Benari. Thanks, Benari. Yep. We're going to keep um, on sopping. Grunewald's Captain America. This is not from Chris Gethard. This is from what? Mark. Somebody B. besides Chris Gethard wants us to read. We do have an epically long email from Chris Gethard we're not going to get to today, unfortunately. We'll get to it next time. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is very long, and he demands that we read it all on the air. So uh, I can't just recap it. We'll do it next. We'll do it next episode. Uh, but I'm just, I'm an older ones, Chris. Uh, so I'll get to it next time. I promise we'll do it in a week. Um, but uh, as I said, I didn't curate these. So I, I, I would have put that in the list to get to. Uh, but Mark D. writes us about um, Captain America. Lately, I've been reading Mark Grunewald's long run as writer of Captain America, which began in the 80s and continued into the 90s. I think one of you re recommended this run in a previous episode. That was Chris Gethard, not us. <laughs> uh, anyway, in the issues I've read so far, Grunewald is really putting Steve Rogers through the ringer. He stripped away many of the familiar parts of the Captain America character. For instance, in this story, Cap has stopped working with a sidekick, gunned down a henchman to rescue a hostage, stopped wearing his costume, alienated his girlfriend, moved out of his Brooklyn apartment, and taken to wandering the country in an unmarked van. From what I can tell, Steve Rogers doesn't even stay at a motel when he's on the road. He sleeps in the back of the van next to his only other possession, a souped-up motorcycle. So it's a real born-again situation over here, or at the very least, an epic midlife crisis. Um... By now, you cover a few versions of the story with different heroes, Daredevil, Batman, even Storm of the X-Men, and Moon Knight, which brings me to my question, which is a two-parter. As comic book fans, do you look forward to these stories that deconstruct a hero? And B, how would you do this for the enforcers? <laughs> Another good email, Will. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, deconstructed heroes great. Like the ones that tear them apart, put them through the paces, strip them down. Those tend to be really good stories, and I like them better than the ones that just out and out kill them, which can yeah. be really like attention getting. But I don't know; it's not worth it to me usually. So I prefer the born again strategy of just like torturing them for a while, or the Craven's Last Hunt. It's fun taking away things that you think are important to a character to see how they deal without those things and then watch them kind of bounce back. I mean, even I would say superior Spider-Man falls into that realm, right? Like, yes, for sure. Uh, even I though mean, Peter it, Parker's not part of it, it's like, what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man? Let's get rid of Peter Parker. Incredible. An incredible idea that worked so well, especially when Dr. Octopus would find himself behaving like Spider-Man. Those were maybe the most compelling parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so those the be really enforcers, the enforcers. I, I, okay, what I think of as the main category, the main attribute of the enforcers is low status, like being D-listers. Mm-hmm. So weirdly, to torture the, to deconstruct the enforcers, you would need to put them at the top of the pyramid. They would need to like topple the kingpin, and like be at the, you know, be given the orders and see what happens. I also think sort of they're like lame gimmicks, lassos dressing up nice. <laughs> being <laughs> kind of strong are their powers <laughs> so like if you really amped up their power set and like like montana didn't use a last like in the spectacular spider-man cartoon which you've now watched well montana becomes the shocker yes uh, and fancy dan becomes ricochet that's almost uh, a little bit like giving them real powers and having them sort of like not a joke enjoy it yeah oh yeah they miss, don't love it like my lasso <laughs> Silver Surfer like gives these guys a little burst of the power cosmic, and it's like just ain't the same as a good old rope or whatever. Yeah. It's like I could blast him, but I might just want to rope him down. Boys, what do you say we do this old enforcer style? <laughs> they I restrict themselves. Asbesto, my asbestos lasso to get the torch. Ox, give him a good haymaker. That'll show Galactus a thing or two. <laughs> Don't use your cosmic power. Just punch him with your human strength. <laughs> Um, that's how you do it. That's how we do it. Uh, let's do two more. I say 20. Okay. We'll compromise somewhere in between there. Uh, we have an email from here from Bernie. Hello, gentle sops. You guys <laughs> should cover Marvel two and one issue 50 where the thing battles the thing. If you haven't read it yet, it's part of the burn era. And one of my favorite thing stories, bet you won't you cowards. <laughs> As always, keep up the meh work. <laughs> Did we write that letter? <laughs> we may have. We may have. I uh, haven't read I, that one, I don't think. I feel like I have. I think I've read Burns' entire thing run, but I don't. I remember the cover. I just don't remember the story. I like that challenge, and I like the way he's doing it. Nothing like a, a accusation of cowardice to get somebody in the Marvel Universe or Marvel Universe adjacent to do something. Uh, here's an email from... Uh, Elan, who's emailed us a few times uh, recently, I think about mapping. I think he was on uh, emails about mapping rogues from different heroes. Um, Dear Milksops, this will probably deserve a longer email eventually, but here's a quick one. Since your podcast started way back as a Spidey podcast, I decided to fulfill a long held dream of mine to read all the main Spider-Man titles. From the beginning. Then when you started covering Claremont's X-Men, I started reading those as well. And now I'm reading every X-Men title. Suffice it to say, for now, I'm in the early 90s era with both. Colossus is currently going by Peter Nicholas due to a memory loss plotline, and he cameos in a web of Spider-Man issue where people confuse him with Peter Parker because they look the same. You had remarked on how similarly, 
similarly looked in a previous episode, looks like you weren't the only ones who noticed. I know technically I didn't solve a problem, but since Will's giving out no prizes willy-nilly, I'd like one, please. <laughs> On its way. <laughs> Until I send another email with thoughts about the arc of Marvel Comics from the 60s to the 90s, make mine Marvel. <laughs> uh, that's fun. I, I, I don't love when characters... <laughs> look the same just because of artist limitations yeah but, like uh, nick fury and reed kind of look the same a lot in john Byrne yeah. comics or there'd be like alicia masters disguised herself as sue by wearing a wig because like <laughs> kirby's women kind of look the same yeah yeah it's like yeah i don't think i would fall for it <laughs> yeah uh, i don't think i would fall for it uh if my wife was swapped with someone else wearing a wig i think i would i'd like to think i would notice <laughs> But I guess if my wife, I'd only seen her ever drawn by Jack Kirby, there'd be more of a chance. It's the worst is uh, the uh, Ocean's Eleven Twelve thing where the Julia Roberts character. Uh, everyone commented that she looked like Julia Roberts. I was I remember being in the theater when that happened, the audience just being silent. Being, I remember being like, people do not like this idea. Yeah, it is for Ocean's Eleven is such a fun movie. It's such a fun cast. Julia Roberts is such a wonderful actress. And it's such a dumb, obvious uh, nothing just feels cheap it just feels cheap yeah i don't even like julia roberts existing in a world with this character playing being pa- played by julia roberts like i loved in last action hero when he goes into the uh blockbuster in his world and all the arnold schwarzenegger movies have stallone in them yeah that was like fun. it's the terminator but it's starring sylvester stallone it's like that's how it is in my mind that's what works right and then when he leaves the movie, he runs into the real Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's great. Last Action Hero, underrated. Directed by the Die Hard director. Never heard of the movie. Die Hard? Good? Yes. Sort yes. of like War Games? <laughs> I don't know. I can find some similarities. <laughs> um, we have another one from Zach, um, who signs his emails Wolverine. <laughs> it does so again here. Uh, hey there, you milky milksops. It is I, your arch nemesis and biggest fan with my second email. Just read your first one earlier this episode, uh, Zach. I expect both this and my first email to be read on your next uh, Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. This might be exactly what you wanted. Uh, <laughs> I really, we really fell into a trap. He's a good villain. Uh, I will devise a scheme to take away all of your bags of money. Oh, my goodness. I want my bags of money. Uh, for realsies, I was curious about something. I just pre-ordered the new J.M.D. Mateus self-published comics after hearing him on a recent episode of your podcast and had an idea. Would you till mil- two milksops ever be down to have a contest or something where the winner could get some of your old comics signed by you? <laughs> so comics we've read, I think, that we signed. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Uh, obviously, none of the ones that mean a lot to you or might be worth a lot of money, but any of the multiple copies of various trades that you have, it would be a really cool as a comic and milksop fan to have a copy of some of the comics you read while preparing for one of your seasons or episodes. Taking a beat from your recent Instagram push, which I quickly participated in, uh, a similar social media push could be done with the prize for the top participants to be some of your old comics from your collection you may have duplicates of. Just a totally awesome idea that I'm sure many of us members of the Merry Milksop Marching Society would thoroughly enjoy and maybe even get you all some more followers' social media engagement. Forever yours, the Ditko-created Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds dumb, but then as as I read the email, I'm like, this isn't a terrible idea. Like, like if we released a, uh, if we offered like a collection of John Byrne comics, yeah, while we're covering John Byrne, there's something to that. 
and we signed them red to buy. <laughs> now, would people want that? I guess it, it definitely devalues them to have us sign them for yeah. sure. But uh, it also is funny. So is that something people would want? Comic books or trades signed by me and Will? <laughs> would that be a contest people would enter? Because as far as we know, nobody or maybe less than two people entered the short box contest because that's all we ever asked for. So we don't know. But um, so I don't would know, people enter this contest? I like how funny this idea is. It is our villain's suggestion, so we don't know. No, but I, it's, I know it's a trap, but we have to try it. <laughs> you know what heroes always do? They walk into traps? Yes, yes. Um, okay, uh, one more, Will. Last okay. one. Whatever you say. Um, oh, this is uh, this is Jan. He's on the Amazing Spider Slack. So I've talked to this guy or, or chatted with this uh, uh, fella on the Spider Slack, which is the official Slack of the Amazing Spider Chat, which is a book where two guys talk about Spider-Man comics that they love. Um, uh, they were they, you know, it's just a book where they cover uh, the current issues as well as kind of go back over the different eras. You know okay. that book, Will? Um, no, you haven't read the Amazing Spider talk. Um, oh, the book you got me confused again when you said the book. Yes, I know the book Amazing Spider. All talk. Right. good. <laughs> and really, I had to spoon feed that to you. Um. Okay, Jan uh, uh, emails us and asks, uh, I'll get straight to the point because this is an incredibly serious question. Um, I want to know which other pairs of famous brothers you guys could outlast in a free-for-all battle royale. <laughs> okay, well, you ready for this? Yes. Sam and Dean Winchester from the TV show Supernatural. No idea. Uh, it's like, you know, they fight ghosts and monsters. They drive around in a cool car. Okay. It's, uh, color-coded. Okay, uh, it's a it's a W or CW show. Okay, would we outlast them? No. Okay. Thor and Loki from Marvel Comics. No. Miles Warren, aka the Jackal, and his brother Raymond from Marvel Comics. They were also Peter Parker's professors. Yes, I think we could outlast them. Okay. Great. Uh, Jonathan and Drew Scott, the Property Brothers. <laughs> nope they would they would get us. Scott and Alex Summers, they would get us. The Russo brothers. <laughs> Um, we could get the Russo brothers. Uh-huh. Tony Scott and Ridley Scott. Yep, we get them because those guys are older. We could, yeah. Uh, what about if it was the '80s version of them? They would take us easy. Okay, because it says here in parentheses, let's say the 1980s age. Okay, yeah, then they would get us. Uh, the Cohen brothers. Yeah, they would get us. We'd be so intrigued by everything they said that we would be our defenses would be down. Uh, he said, "If you two need to power up, either of you can sub in the third Heinz brother for one match. What about if we just had Brian?" Would would that push us over for any of the ones we lost on, do you think? I feel like we could um yeah, it might help us uh it might help us with the property brothers. <laughs> okay, great. There's your answers, Jan. Uh write those down and put them in your fan fiction. Um that's enough, I think. Well, what do you think? I think it's great. So next um next episode we're gonna go over three more issues of John Byrne and we're gonna read some email, including the Chris Gethard epic. Yeah, it's really, really long. Um, it's another <laughs> plea to get us to read Captain America comics. I love it. I love it's it. It's also right. a defense of Squadron Supreme. So it's it's a it's a good Ooh, email. I'm for interested a lot of, to hear for that. For I'm a lot of to hear that. Things. All right. Um, so thank you for writing it, Chris Gethard. I'm going to read it all because you've demanded it of us. <laughs> I love it. But uh, next episode. All right. Next episode, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. comics.